The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Roads Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, yesteryear searching for America in every incomparable mile. Hello, everyone. We're happy to have you with us for another edition of Trip Talk. So glad that you could join us on the open road of the air, as it were. Today, we're going to be talking about lodging in the national parks. Now, that's an exciting concept, particularly when you're six months to a year out and you're planning and you're imagining what all that fun is going to be like, the journey and all the great places you get to see uniquely in America's national park system. We have a couple of experts we're going to bring on in a moment, and we'll get down to that traveling open road business right after this. I do have word of great news for American Road Magazine readers and lovers of the open road. Celebrate the golden age of Route 66. The cars, the music, the food, the friends made along the way, all brought together at the International Route 66 Mother Road Festival in Springfield, Illinois. It's happening September 27 through 29. Unlike many festivals, this one offers free spectator admission. Don't miss the spectacular 2,000-car Friday night classic car cruise into downtown and the unforgettable burnout competition on Saturday. The International Route 66 Mother Road Festival is coming up quickly. Get your motor running and head out to historic Springfield, Illinois. Welcome back, everyone. Glad to have you with us on Trip Talk. I am going to read a bio that will spur a lot of envy. I just know it. It's it's doing that to me already. If you can imagine being able to take your summers, which is, you know, peak season for the national parks, we all know this, and to be able to get out on the open road and be there where everything is gorgeous. The, the glamour of God, in a manner of speaking, God's country here, there, and everywhere around the national park system. A couple, David L. Scott and K.W. Scott, have spent over 30 summers, actually closer to 40 now, 40 summers touring the United States and Canada, including six summers exclusively devoted to the National Park Lodges. They write a weekly travel column for community newspaper holdings. They both live in Valdosta, Georgia, where David is an emeritus professor of finance at Valdosta State University, and Kay is retired from the public school system. And I can't wait to get talking to them. David and Kay, welcome to American Road Trip Talk. Nice to be with you, Gary. All right. Thank you for having us. If you ever need someone to tag along, I'm more than willing to volunteer to go to the places that you see and have seen. What an extraordinary life you've built, a lifestyle, really, around going to the national parks and a lot of points in between, I'm sure, but in particular, to visit the lodges, which really go from A to Z in terms of the style, the accommodations, the prices, certainly, and all the things that can be experienced with that as your daily headquarters before you go out and venture into the glamorous, gorgeous American National Park system. Oh, we love the lodges, but when we first started out, we had a Volkswagen camper, and actually we've owned four of those, and we camped in the national parks. And it wasn't until uh, several years later that we, we would walk through the lodges, but we'd head back to the camper to sleep. And then when we finally gave up the camper, we decided we had to try the lodges and just love them. So it wasn't always just the lodges. 
No, no, I can understand that. And by the way, I just have to ask you, along your travels, did that VW bus ever make it to a Grateful Dead concert? No, it, we, no. Did, we, we didn't do that. We're more, uh, we're more in, the, in the era of Roy Orbison and, and Elvis and the Grateful Dead. So we came in just ahead of the Grateful Dead. But, uh, I mean, I love the Jefferson Airplane and, and the other groups of that era also. Absolutely. And isn't it interesting that when travel becomes a cultural movement, people will go, it could be to a Grateful Dead concert, it could be following the Rolling Stones, and some people prefer to go to the national parks because they put it on their bucket list, as I did. I'll give you an example. Two years ago, my partner Suzanne and I went to Yellowstone September 1, 2017, we rolled in, and it was an interesting uh, episode for us right at the start because we came in from Gardner, Montana, that's from the north, heading into uh, Wyoming and Yellowstone, and we asked the nice young gentleman where our evening stay was, being that we had booked a room at Grant Village. And he told us, oh, that's about 75 miles away. And I said, what? I think I did I did a double take there. And yet we made it before, just before sundown. And we had one kind of experience that night. And then we chose another place within the park for our second night there. And it was just great, a brand new facility, as a matter of fact. But the wonder of Yellowstone was there. And it just seemed like it was even better for our being able to stay within the park. I take it you've had the same kind of experience. Oh, definitely. We especially enjoy the parks in the evening when a lot of the day trippers leave, and it's it's kind of quiet and peaceful. Um, but being right there in the in the park and not having to leave and rush out is is quite an experience. Yellowstone can really be uh, a puzzle for a lot of people, as you found out. It, it's extremely large, and uh, it requires a lot of driving. And also, there are nine different lodges in the park, and they've all been there quite a spell. Most people know about Old Faithful Inn, uh, but there are also some some newer uh, buildings there. But it's it's a very complicated park, and you it requires planning be, before you go. I think uh, and. You could easily spend an entire week in Yellowstone and still find new things to do. And you were smart to move from one lodge to the other because they are so far apart. It's, it's kind of nice to experience the different areas a little longer than just buzzing through. That's very true. I'm glad you mentioned that, Kay, because when we came in from the Gardner, Montana entrance, there I remember saying to Suzanne, because we have to get there before sundown, we're brand new, and you have to go slowly. This isn't a speedway through Yellowstone, obviously. And to the wildlife, it's home, and you are admonished. This is their home. You're the visitor. Act accordingly, and that's great advice. But I remember thinking Mammoth Hot Springs. Now, that is a place I would love to visit, but we really only got to drive past it because of the time factor. So okay. advanced planning would have benefited us if we were going to pinpoint where we wanted to be within the park on which day. Right. The, the Mammoth area actually is the old area of the park on the north end where uh, the Calvary uh, used to be uh, when the U.S. Army was protecting Yellowstone be before uh, the National Park Service. And a lot of the big old administration buildings there, they're really quite uh, an interesting walk around that area of, of the park. But it is at the far north end of the park, the most 
centrally located lodging facility in Yellowstone is the canyon area, which is kind of in the middle of the two loops. So that's the, a strategic place to stay if you're only going to be there a couple of three days and you only want to stay in a single lodge. That does make perfect sense to me at the Mammoth Hot Springs Lodge, too. If I recall correctly, that's the only place where you can stay and you have access to free Wi-Fi for those to whom that is a thing. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not sure about that. We seldom use uh, the computer when we're there, uh, and uh, that may be. I'm sure they probably do have Wi-Fi. It's more developed in that area of the park. The other areas are a little more remote. This is a good time for me to mention, David and Kay, that you have a wonderful book that is so valuable to travelers of the open road, especially fans of the national parks and the lodging therein, that I think you are in your ninth edition of a book called The Complete Guide to the National Park Lodges. That's exciting just to say. Complete Guide to the National Park Lodges, nine editions. I have a feeling part of that is because there are updates and new concessionaires, always something going on within the system. Well, when we first started out, we thought, no, we'd only update it every oh, five or six years because we have assumed that the lodges just stayed the same, but we learned that they don't. Um, like you said, concessionaires change. And even um, back to back to Yellowstone, in the the uh, canyon area, they tore out like 150 log cabins or little cabins, and built new lodges there. So there's always something going on somewhere that's changing. So it's been fun. It really has been fun keeping it up to date. And they do get new concessionaires. Um, in fact, they've changed quite a number of. Parks have changed concessionaires um, a number of times in the last five or six years. Most of most of the park lodging now is being operated by three or four large companies. Um, one is called Zantera, and they operate uh, all the lodges in Yellowstone. They operate the lodge, um, all the lodges in, in the Grand Canyon and all the lodges in Glacier, three of the biggest parks with the most lodges. Same company operates all those all those lodges. That would be big business for sure. And if I if we're talking about the same area, night two in Yellowstone, Suzanne and I stayed in lodges that were definitely new and there was a trail out back that you could take and cross the road over to the area known as Yellowstone's Grand Canyon. Right. That's the you can, were, you canyon, were in the canyon area, area uh, right. And they built, is it five or six new buildings? Six. Six new buildings there. And there were two that weren't that old, so that actually there are eight. Right. And those those rooms are actually are, are quite nice. They don't quite have the atmosphere of uh, Old Faithful Inn, uh, but they're built in the same style with a rustic look. But uh, Old Faithful Inn is kind of special and uh, I don't know it's it just there's something about staying there that makes it much different than any of the other places in the park 
I certainly enjoyed night two more than night one, and night one wasn't bad. I, I guess they've done some remodeling down in Grant Village. I don't want to besmirch them because they're in favor of progress as well. So if they have new lodging there, then uh, someday I'm going to have to update my view of them by going and paying that place a visit. I know I'm getting back to Yellowstone someday. Absolutely, I have to do that because, as you two indicate, there's so much to see. If you stayed for a week, you've really only scratched the surface. Right. That's sure. true. And then most people that go to Yellowstone also to go to Grand Teton, which is just south of there, which requires uh, another couple of days at least, uh, maybe more, to, to see that park, which is also uh, really a, a spectacular park to see the Tetons from the, from the east side of the mountains. Yes, that absolutely is a place that I want to see as well. Our itinerary took us away from that area, and uh, I felt a little bit regretful, but you know, there's always next time, so I definitely want to plan to get there. Well, let's go out west, all the way out to California, because when I was a kid, starting in 1962, I'm dating myself here a little bit, but David and Kay, when I went to uh, went to Yosemite for the first time. I still have pictures. I was there approximately a month, maybe six weeks after President Kennedy had visited. And I just remember being spellbound by all this natural beauty, even as a little kid. And we got to stay in the housekeeping tents, which are still available at Yosemite. But when I speak of a range of lodging, not only in terms of price, but accommodations, there, yellow, uh, Yosemite is a place that is startling for its variety, both uh, naturally with the flora and the fauna, the geology, and then there are the accommodations. Is it fun to be in a housekeeping tent? Yes, and I was in one of the cabins as well many years later. That was terrific, but I, I never thought that I would even be able to consider going to what was known, I don't think it is anymore, but it was known as the Awani Hotel. Actually, Actually, the concessionaires that took it over, they were supposed to pay $5 million for the names. Oh, my. And so Right. So that's why they changed the name. But <laughs> I don't blame re- them. Just recently, <laughs> I'm not sure how much they paid to settle it, but they do have the names back now. So it is the Awani again. The Awani is back, baby. Yes. yes. Yeah, or it will be. I, they changed it to the Majestic uh, Yosemite Hotel. <laughs> and it never rang oh, right. No. And so having the name Awani back will, uh, and, and Curry Village also, that will be a real improvement, I think. Now, let me ask you both the question. Both of you feel free to answer. Jump right on in. Let's say I just landed from Mars and I hear Awani Hotel, Yosemite. What, what is such a big deal about the Awani, particularly within Yosemite's boundaries? It's probably the most spectacular lodge of all of the lodges, they keep that up to date um, with top of the line furnishings and the bedding. When you walk in, the regular lobby is very nice, but then they have the grand room that has stained glass windows. Um, it's just huge. It's, it's got fireplaces that you literally can stand in. They're so big. Um, it's just a beautiful structure. I always, when I'm giving talks, I like to tell people you really need to know what you're getting because I use the Yosemite Valley as the, the difference because you can end up in the Awani or you can end up in a tent. 
You can. And there are places in between, Kay. I mean, you make right. a great point because people have to choose. Do they still have the Wawona Lodge there? Yes. The Wawona is at the south end of the park, right? And that's nice. And what, again, some people don't realize that the park has the parks, different parks, have rooms without baths. And that the Wawona is one of them. So some rooms have baths and some don't. That was another hotel they changed the name to Big Trees Lodge. Yeah. But I'm assuming now they'll change it back to the, the Wawona. By the way, the, the Wawona is really uh, it, the Yosemite Valley, where the other lodging is, is, tends to be quite crowded and busy in the summertime. And the Wawona is out of that uh, area, on the, like Kay said, near the south entrance to the park. And is a much quieter and more restful place to stay. Uh, it's it's older than any of the other lodging in, in Yosemite. It's one of the oldest lodging facilities in any national park. And we've stayed there a number of times and have really enjoyed it. It's fun to sit on the porch. Um, and at night they often have a piano player inside. And uh, it's, it's really a, really a nice place to stay. I'm curious to know when the two of you made your first visit to Yosemite. <laughs> oh, gosh. It oh, had to have been um, the, 1970. Let's see. No. We got married in 69. And we started traveling that summer. Went to graduate school. We probably, we probably went to Yosemite after graduate school in 1972 Who or 70. Seventy-three, nineteen seventy-three yeah. was probably our first visit to Yosemite Valley. And I'm and boy, being newlyweds, how great is that? My reason for asking is because I am one person. You could ask me if you wanted to, and I'll tell you what a thrill it was. I was around for the firefall. Uh, we weren't there for that. No, we were late. We didn't than even that. know about that. We we it's, learned about it later, yeah. and have talked to other people who've been there. But, yeah, I guess I'm sure that was quite a sight. Once the sun goes down, they prepare the coals up there, and it is a cascading waterfall of fire. I'm thinking about it now. I will never forget it. It was deemed to be, for lack of a better term, unecological or not environmentally suitable to the park in its natural state. So the government decided that they needed to stop doing that. And what a pity, because it was such an extraordinary event. And they would play the, uh, I think the song is uh, Indian Love Call. They would Probably play that over yeah. this loudspeaker. <laughs> and, and so you would listen to that, and here comes this cascade of fire. It was extraordinary. It would just give you goosebumps. And the only time I know that they ever delayed it, because, I mean, right after sunset, they were ready to get this going there, and they delayed it one time that I know of. President John F. Kennedy was on the phone to Russia. I believe he was conducting some sort of sensitive conversation with uh, Premier Khrushchev. And uh, they figured, well, they'll hold up a little bit until he's done with his phone call so that he could watch it, too. And that's the only time I ever know them actually to have adjusted the schedule. And then it all went away. I count myself among the very fortunate to have witnessed that a couple of times, actually. Yeah, right. you're right. Uh, you know, there I think there can't be any more beautiful place in the world than Yosemite Valley. When you come in from the south and you uh, climb up and then you're, you look down at the valley, it's just a stunning place. It's just amazingly beautiful, almost like it's a picture. 
It definitely is. Well, I know the great photographer Ansel Adams would not dispute you on that point. <laughs> that's, right. that's for sure. So uh, now, now I've got to make plans to get back to Yosemite. I, I have to confess I have not been there since 1976. And they say the place has changed. Who knew? So that's going to be something else. And now if you want to go on a hike many times, you have to sign up in advance and go with a group. You, you can't simply wander to places that used to be available to you throughout daylight hours. Now you have to plan it very carefully because it gets so overcrowded. Yeah, it does. It, it's very crowded in the summertime almost to the point where it's sometimes difficult to enjoy even with being surrounded by all that beauty uh, there are so there are so many people there and um, the shuttle system has helped a lot if if they didn't have that it would be much worse but we were there once in the winter time i don't know if it was december or january it was december but december of our anniversary <laughs> and and there was some snow on the ground and the place was really quiet, and uh, it was really en- it's really an enjoyable winter place to visit. I've never been there in winter. Maybe sometime I will, because it is gorgeous. They're blanketed with snow and ice like that. Just uh, Yosemite is magnificent for all time, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 I wanted to, uh, when we were setting up this interview, David, you know, you mentioned a place, and I said, oh, I've been there, I've been there, and here again, a place that has changed so much. And also, this is a precursor to other editions. I know I'm going to have you two back to talk about the national parks. There's no way we can get it all in with one interview on a half-hour show and podcast, so we will do this again. But uh, we have a few minutes left, so I wanted to have you both speak to the grandeur that is Zion National Park, which I've visited half a dozen times, but the last time I was there was in the late 80s. Again, lots of change. Well, Zion is beautiful. I mean, you're you're down in kind of the canyon looking up, and there's one main road through Zion, and it has gotten so crowded that they make people now, unless you're staying at the lodge, you can't drive down that road unless you're handicapped. They um, make you park back at the visitor center, and you ride a shuttle into mm-hmm. the park. It stops at the lodge and then goes on down to the end of the valley, to the end of the road. Um, so it's that's the only bad part about that. But the last time we were there was summer, and so naturally that's their busiest time. So I suppose they're not as busy in the fall, but um, it, it's a beautiful park. We have, beautiful. we have a friend that travels a lot, and he considers Zion to be the most underrated national park in the country. I don't know if that's true any longer because it's gets it gets such heavy visitation now. There is a there is a main road that goes through the south end that you don't need uh, permission to drive on. The, the one where you you come in from the south uh, east or the southwest and drive to Springdale. But even that road is crowded and the traffic is very slow. And it's good for people to know that there is lodging within Zion. I've stayed at the Zion Lodge. It was. Fine, I enjoyed it very much. It, too, was rustic in character. But also in the town of Springdale, which is the gateway to Zion right there, it's got so many places where you can stay and you can walk around the little town at night and enjoy it. The bats were flying overhead, and then (laughs) we would stop and look up all of a sudden. It was well after dark. It was closer to 11 o'clock p.m. But we would just stop where we were and look straight up, and you are looking at an unbelievable ocean of stars in a very clear sky. Right. You're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. That's, that's pretty country. Yeah. Uh, southern, yes. I, southern Utah is, 
is just beautiful. Zion and the the then north rim of the Grand Canyon is just into Arizona, but Bryce Canyon is another national park and probably one of sometimes people ask us if, if you were going to take a, a week long trip or a eight or nine day trip and you wanted to see the parks, where would you go? A, a good uh, recommendation, I think, is to fly to Las Vegas and rent a car and then do uh, Zion National Park, the North Rim of the Grand Canyon, the Bryce Canyon National Park, and then over to Lake Powell, which has a, uh, also has a very nice lodge, and then circle around the Grand Canyon, come back to Las Vegas. It, that's really an excellent uh, road trip. That sounds like one of the most magnificently exhausting road trips imaginable, <laughs> and I would love to do it. Well, I was living no in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, well, that's for sure. I lived in Las Vegas for five years, and going to Zion, I agree with you. There was a feeling of it being underappreciated and underrated. May not be true today, but back in the '80s, I kept wondering why aren't more people flooding to this place? It's like God set his hand down, and there was Zion as a creation on the spot from the Almighty. It's really just one of those places that blows you away. You're right about that. It is, it's a stunning park. It's very beautiful. That's another one. We love to stay in, in the lodges there because you can sit on the balcony or on the porches of the cabins, and you're right there. You're just looking out at these beautiful cliffs just and the colors, the orange colors and stuff. So and the wildlife, it's just an incredible place. And I recommend taking the Emerald Pool Trail there because uh, when you go there, even beginners or people who can't get around all that well, you can go on that trail. It's for everybody. And yeah. the colors are absolutely stunning. Right. So that that's wonderful. I want to thank the both of you for joining us today. I'm sorry that our time is up, but we will do this again because we have a whole national park system <laughs> and all those lodges to cover. Your wonderful book is... Complete Guide to the National Park Lodges, now in its ninth edition. You can also get it on Kindle. David Scott and K.L. Scott, thank you again so much. I look forward to our next visit together on Trip Talk. We love to talk about the park. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you. We'll do it again. The Scots, everybody, they are so, so fortunate to have all these experiences in their memory bank. I wanted to tell everyone, American Roads 2019 Picture Perfect Photography Contest celebrates art in every form. Art inspires and influences people in many ways. Submit a photograph of your favorite subject that inspires you to travel and celebrate life. Whether it's a photo of a beautiful sunset, a quirky roadside attraction, or a neon sign, let your imagination soar. Send us your picture-perfect photo. You could win $500 and have your photograph published in an upcoming issue of American Road Magazine. Visit AmericanRoadMagazine.com for details and entry instructions. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us today. We're going to get back to the national parks, but there's always something cooking here as we're on the road. And we hope that you will join us next week. Who knows who it's going to be, but it's going to be somebody interesting talking about places that are exciting. Thank you once again for tuning into American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue of American Road Magazine. Until next week, drive safely and dream well. <laughs>